welcome to the podcast version of my podcast, Esteemed Women, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women from diverse backgrounds and perspectives in science and technology. Conversations in this series give us a real insight into some fascinating innovations, but we also get to find out how successful women in STEM thrive in male-dominated professions. Here on Esteemed Women, I give my guests a platform to be seen and heard. And honestly, every single episode is inspiring and uplifting because we hear about what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Dr. Kat Gardner, a combustion experimentalist. I'm Dr. Kat Gardner. Um, I'm a combustion experimentalist. Um, and uh, I, so I like to play with fire. Um, I work for Rolls-Royce as a combustion aerothermal technologist and I'm also the holder of a Royal Academy of Engineering um, Industrial Fellowship which means that I get to pursue uh, a bit more research-led work at the National Centre for Combustion and Aerothermal Technologies at Loughborough University at the moment. AKA total badass. I mean, honestly, it's like so amazing to hear just, you know, all those things. I feel like we need to break it down a little bit because it's a lot of very long words all stuck together. So where should we even start? I mean, I started um, doing a physics degree. Um, so I started out, I left school, uh, was born and bred in Grimsby. So I'm a girl from Grimsby. And I moved over to Aberystwyth to study planetary space physics, actually, because I, you know, space is very exciting and the sun and everything like that. Um, and it was during my second year that I thought, actually, I, I quite like to stay in Aberystwyth for a little bit uh, over the summertime. So I was looking for jobs. Um, and there were a few around in the in the department. I, uh, one of the older students said, "Oh, see so if you can get a research position. That would be that, that's a good thing to do, and you know, helps you if you want to do further study." And I'm like, "Okay." So I asked around, and there was some data crunching stuff which was unpaid, and I thought, "Oh, you know, I could do that." And then this chap came to see me in the laboratory where I was working on my third year pro- no, second year project. He said, "Do you want to come and blow some stuff up?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that that will do." Um, and I said, I'll pay you. I'm like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. So I started off in that summertime working uh, with shock tubes, looking at ignition delay times. So when you heat a gas mixture and pressurise a gas mixture, which is flammable, it can spontaneously combust. So I started out doing shock tube experiments um, and taking pictures of flames as they ignited. Um, and there's actually the precursor to my PhD then. So um, that's sort of where it all started and how I managed to get into this this wonderful world of combustion um, is, you know, taking pictures of explosions, basically. And doing some larger ones as well with the group that I was in. They were they're explosion specialists. They still they still are. Um, and, uh, you know, going into the, the forest and uh, blowing up water tanks for safety information and doing flame arrestor testing. I did a little bit of that, not not as much as I probably would have liked to. But, uh, yeah, it was really interesting stuff. So what was your PhD in then? So my PhD ended up in autoignition delay times. So looking at natural gas mixtures at low temperatures, heated and pressurised and see when they would spontaneously combust. And then comparing that to a chemical kinetics model where it predicts what what should happen, what time what time it takes for this ignition to happen. Um, and what we found was that actually at the lower temperatures, it, it, it happens a lot quicker than you'd expect. 
which isn't great if you're looking at premixed combustion systems in ground-based gas turbines, for example, um, because it means that you, you can have a problem with auto-ignition in a place and combustion where you don't want combustion, <laughs> not necessarily in the combustion chamber. And then I also did a project on soot formation, actually, as well, um, where I ended up working in a synchrotron which is where x-rays are produced. Um, it's a huge torus, actually. You need a bicycle to get around it. Um, so, and you work ridiculous hours, 20 hours a day, and you get like four hours sleep and you have to go back to the cell and do more experiments. But we were firing these x-rays through an ethylene flame um, and looking to see where, because when you fire the x-rays through, it, it scatters off the particles and you from the scatter data you can work out what size the particles are and how they grow throughout the flame so i did a bit of that as well i've done quite a varied amount of things actually a bit of a jack of all trades um but learned a lot along the way <laughs> uh, imagining you going to your day job and like every day is about blowing something up <laughs> yeah well it, it was for a while now we, we like to keep the combustion nice and controlled uh, <laughs> We don't want any explosions with what I'm doing at the moment. Um, yeah. What are you doing at the moment? So at the moment, um, so I, for the last 12 years, after I did a couple of postdocs, um, I've been working in what we call kerosene land uh, for Rolls-Royce, uh, looking at combustion systems for, for jet engines, so the, the kind of jet engines that will take you on your holidays. Um, and so I worked a lot of project stuff. I did the certification for emissions for the Trent XWB, which is our most efficient engine in the world. Um, and then and now what I'm looking at is um, miniaturization of fuel spray nozzles. Um, not, not too small. I mean, you can still see them. Uh, when I say micromixes, a lot of people think, oh, micron size. I'm like, no, they're, they're, they're this big. Um, but more numerous fuel spray nozzles in the combustor to try and control that combustion process even, even better than we do at the moment to reduce our emissions of pollutants and also to give us a nice even temperature distribution for our downstream components, which do take a bit of a battering. The, 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 the exit temperature of the combustor is about 2000 Kelvin, uh, 2400 Kelvin. So it's really very, very hot. And our colleagues and turbines have to work very hard to make sure that their components can cope with that by lots of cooling and things like that. And if we have big temperature gradients, it makes it it makes it more difficult for them. So if we can have a nice, even temperature distribution, then it means that their components are going to last longer, which which is great in terms of sustainability as well. What are you like on a plane? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, the, the seats are always too small, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's fine. I don't mind. I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy. New Zealand Airways have giant seats. Yes, I saw they've got these ones where you can lay down as well. And and I, I have a small, small obsession with aircraft interiors and how to make economy, uh, you know, a much more a wonderful experience, because I think sometimes it can be a little bit of a letdown. I've managed to fly business once or twice. And oh, that is the way to travel. Uh, we got off the plane um, uh, coming back from New York and uh, I went and had a shower in my own private bathroom. It was great. I had a facial. It was fantastic. <laughs> that is the way to deplane, in my opinion. But um, yeah, unfortunately, most of the time I'm in the economy. 
I'm not going to ask you which airline because I don't want to plug anything. But no, not going to say. Not going to say. <laughs> are you one of those flyers then that um, just enjoys it? Because for me, ever since I did mechanical engineering, honestly, yeah. I'm just like I can't stop thinking about things that I learn. You know, yeah. how does yeah. this thing stay up? I mean, I know the mathematical <laughs> equations allow it, but you know, I'm still a paranoid flyer. Yeah, you see, I'm not. I think I think that I had an experience once on a flight um, where we did take off and we had to land pretty quickly. Uh, that was my palms were definitely sweaty then. Um, but since then, I, I don't know. It's I find it you're in, you're in your own little space, your own little cocoon. You can watch whatever movies you want, um, and they, they bring they bring you a glass of wine. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> what's not to love absolutely <laughs> um, yes yeah, so i'm in fact in some ways i'm a bit sad i haven't managed to travel over the last few years obviously with the pandemic and everything but uh um yeah maybe in the in the future i'm still not entirely sold on 24 hours on a plane to go to australia or new zealand but uh uh maybe in the future if uh, if we can get that those you know some of the new fancy concepts for for, for aircraft uh, interiors that would be that would be the way to do it is it actually possible to go from A to B in 24 hours? I thought you have to build it. Yes, no, the, the, the Project Sunrise, Sunrise has just been um, completed, I think, and you can actually fly direct now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of fuel on board. It is. It is a lot of fuel on board, absolutely. So, I mean... With what you do, it just sounds so incredible and I can really hear your passion and your like enthusiasm. Um, but it's not an obvious choice for a woman. Um, no, it's so not. I am a bit of a woman in a man's world. Um, yeah. There's no two ways about that. Um, you know, I think every time I actually, I'm in a meeting, I do, do a quick tally. And I think, you know, in my group in particular, it's about 10%. Um, well, it doesn't take us. long to tally. It, it doesn't. There's about five of us. <laughs> um, which is, it's not ideal, to be honest, um, because, you know, diversity in every shape and form, I think, makes better teams. You know, it allows us to create new ideas and innovate better. Um, and be able to, uh, you know, bounce ideas and, and get to get to new concepts because everybody comes with a different point of view or a different way of doing things. And, you know, sometimes when you've got a lot of, you know, men of a certain age, engineers in a room, it can go down one room because you've all been trained in the same way. You've all had the same experiences. Whereas if you've got a lot of people from a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds, you can get a little bit more creative i think um but yeah it's not it's i wanted to be a physicist that's what i wanted to do i thought ah, i'm gonna go and do physics you know um and there's a lot of people that say oh it's hard that is and i'm like well yeah it is it is but i want to learn about the way this world works i want to learn about how things go together and you know i'm a, I'm a physicist that masquerades as an engineer um in, in a day-to-day day-to-day life working at rolls-royce um but i just love the the discovery stages you know sometimes the little wins come few and far between but when you get them it's really exciting when you've put that experiment together and it goes uh, and it goes well and you can get the data and you're looking at it and you see something new you're like oh this is this is exciting i like this um mm -hmm. when you've 
I always say that we we have different stages of testing. Um, so you've got your very small scale sort of lab experiments, bench experiments. But we also do, you know, very representative testing at Rolls-Royce where we've got a full annular combustor. So our combustors are like a torus, like a donut. Um, and we take those to a facility um, and we, we run them at pretty much engine representative conditions, except perhaps the pressure. And when you've done one of those tests, I always say I walk away from that feeling like I've just landed from the moon. When it's gone well, when you've got the data, when you know that you can answer the question that the, the program has, has asked you, you can you, you feel a real buzz. It is a real buzz. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I mean, the first time we met was at Cambridge, um, yeah. in the Whittle Lab. And I'm, you know, trying to imagine what it must be like running those tests. Because, I mean, the, the equipment... And the laboratory is just so impressive, you know, and you're, everything's so big, you know, yeah. big scale. And it must be, I can understand why that would be really thrilling. Yeah. Um, and I think as well is that when you go from, you go from the Whittle lab stage to our full annular rig test stage, and then you get to do engine tests. And I think one of the things that really struck me when I first started at Rolls-Royce, I went to do an engine test and I went into the test cell and I looked up. And there was just an engine hanging there on the pylon above me. And I just, oh, I just couldn't stop grinning. And I get to, I get to do things with that. <laughs> I get to, well, I personally don't get to do the throttle, unfortunately. Um, but I get to say, can you please go to this condition? And can you please get this, this data for me? Um, and then the data can come in. And we sometimes, you know, with the certification test, we'll have witnesses from the uh, European Aviation Safety Authority. And they'll come in and you're, you're talking to them and making sure that they're happy with the processes you've done. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a real, you know, it's a real achievement when you've done that. I mean, putting gender aside, are there many people that do your job? Um, well, there's quite a few in the team. Um, I mean, we are split between sort of experimental side of things and sort of the method. So see, com computational fluid dynamics and heat transfer modeling and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess there'll be some people in, in other companies as well that do what I do. So in the, the, the GEs and the Pratt & Whitney's and those kind of places. So I wouldn't say we're a, a large group. Um, combustion, the combustion community itself is, uh, you know, we we tend to know each other. Um, but I also work on the Institute of Physics Combustion Physics Group. I did that for a long time before I started at Rolls-Royce. And because I've got this award from the Royal Academy of Engineering, it allows me to, to, to actually get back into the combustion community again. And it's really nice because I get to go back and I go, oh, hello, I haven't seen you for a while. Um, because it's all the same people and, um, and being able to, to chat to them about what they're working on now as well and get an insight into what they're doing. I recently organised um, a meeting for hydrogen combustion because obviously that's one of the big ask. things at the moment. Yeah. Um, we, we held it at Rolls-Royce and 80-odd people came. and But it was really nice to get, like, academics and industrial partners and see what everybody's doing everybody presented on what they're trying to achieve and some of the things were very you know high level we're going to make this plant and we're going to produce hydrogen and we're going to burn it in this way and others were I've got a two micron a two millimeter channel where I'm looking at the model of of how hydrogen combusts in there and so really down to the very academic scale as well so a huge broad range of things but it was just really great to see everybody back together again because it's something again that we've not had 
with the pandemic we've not been able to come together we've not been able to chat about oh I really really like your talk and I really liked seeing what you're doing and I'm doing this and what about if we collaborate and things like that and you know that's that's the essence of of, of engineering and, and, and for, put, for pushing forward in science is getting those collaborations going so it's been really exciting to get back into the combustion community and see me old mates <laughs> yeah and are you all kind of um accepting of the fact that fuel's going to change you know yeah i think so yeah i mean we've got there's two different routes at the, at the minute that are well perhaps three actually and um, so we've got battery technology we've got hydrogen and we've got sustainable aviation fuels um sas or synthetic aviation fuels um and they've got i think different different applications you're not gonna you're not gonna get on a, a battery powered plane to go to Australia, um, mm. but you might be able to go to Glasgow. Um, but also with hydrogen, you know, the we, we, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to figure out what's the most appropriate application for it, and perhaps it's the middle kind of uh, length of travel, and then maybe for the longer length of travel, we use something like a SAF so that it can be a bit more kerosene like, and you know, we can fill up and go and travel you know, for the, for the 16, 17 hours or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that it's definitely recognised that hydrogen is now something that we all need to be looking into a bit more. And what what got me from the hydrogen meeting is that, you know, we're, we're looking at the basics as well as looking at how we can actually implement it all at the same time. So there's a lot of work going on in very different streams. And that goes, that goes for uh, storage, transportation as well so there's loads of different things going to really push this push this concept through to you know something that we can be confident that we can use in our day-to-day lives because let's face it combustion is in our day-to-day lives you know Mm. my gas boiler goes off I don't worry you know I'm not gonna I don't think my house is gonna blow up I get in my car it's got an internal combustion engine in it I don't think that's gonna blow up you know I'm quite happy with that but with hydrogen there's a, a bit of nervousness probably because it's a new type of fuel, it's it's a bit more reactive. But we, we you know, the the work is being done now to be able to implement it in a, a very safe way. I just had a thought when you were saying that of your boiler going, because yeah. when the boiler goes in my place, um, I kind of want to get, I, I kind of want to outsmart the guy that comes to fix it. <laughs> and I can't imagine what it must be like if you're around. Oh, I let them get on with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. They don't want me around. <laughs> like, no, no, you, you haven't mixed the, you haven't got the ratios right. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so- I mean, to be, being a woman in a man's world, honestly, when, you know, I, I work in Rolls-Royce, but sometimes it's outside of Rolls-Royce that I really feel it. Um, you know, I came home once and there was some scaffolders putting up um, scaffolding because we were getting some of the guttering done. And um, they said, oh, where you been, love? shopping i'm thinking no i've just got out of a chief engineer's review actually but <laughs> it is changing it is changing i'm working with um so many vibrant young people at the moment at the national center for combustion and aerothermal technology which we do shorten to ncat um we don't always say the whole thing so there's loads of phd students there and um, who are all probably under the age of 30 and they they just treat me like you know 
a person. I'm not I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm just a person who's got experience that they can tap into if they want to. They always joke that I'm an inspiration, but actually I think they're they're pretty inspirational themselves. They they've got that energy. They've got the drive. They've got the passion for what they want to do. And and, you know, they're, they're pushing forward. And it's really lovely to be in that environment and seeing these early career researchers and engineers being, you know, properly excited by combustion and I think part of that is this you know the change in fuels that the the idea that we we don't have to work with fossil fuels all the time we could make our own fuels we could you know look at something alternative and that gives them you know the impetus to go and search out the basics but then also look into how it could be implemented. Oh I really want to hold that thought this idea that the sort of younger generations i know it makes us sound old oh, we're, not, we're not that old we're not <laughs> maybe not you but I i've got to a place where i'm trying i am accepting now that i am a different generation um but it's interesting because the younger generation coming through um do come with a different mindset um and it's really great to hear you being inspired by that because there is absolutely no doubt that you must be such a major guide and mentor and light for that that crowd um but I can also see how you're learning from them because you said something earlier about how um you know there's a very homogenous group that you work with and you said that if you lead, leave things up to that homogenous group, then you don't get the diversity and you don't get the inclusive ideas and, you know, all those different perspectives. Um, and what I was really wanting to ask you in that moment is how do you how have you um, coped with making yourself heard when you are the minority? Like, do you have like a cheat sheet of how to get your voice through do you know i'm still working on it definitely still working on it um but i also don't think that it's necessarily just because i'm a woman either um i think it's it's a it's a matter of personalities as well you, you could probably tell i'm quite a sociable person i don't and we we do this um thing in in rolls royce called high performance culture where you you put yourself into a, a different box and you say what your standard personality is, understanding that we can all move and flex and change if we need to. But there's a lot of a lot of my colleagues are in the formal and dominant or the analyst category, whereas I'm very much more a supporter. Um, I like to see people succeed. I want to share knowledge. I want to do that. And not to say these guys won't do that, but it's just that's my, my natural state is to be um, in a team in team dynamic and uh, you know not necessarily working in isolation um because I'm a bit of an extrovert I suppose but it's you know it's it's those kind of people who also get the same treatment as me I remember we did a um a, it was a, a another training exercise where we were looking at microaggressions and people were to ask asked whether or not they'd said an idea in a meeting and whether it had been ignored. And it wasn't just me that put my hand up. A lot of my colleagues did as well. And so I think it comes down to your personality. It comes down to your level of experience as well. 
I think I have to be quite careful sometimes that, you know, not necessarily playing the woman card, but I think a lot of the, the a lot of the, the that kind of um, behaviour comes from, I trust this person and I don't know this person, or I trust this person and they've done something like that before that I know about. Maybe they don't know that I've done that before as well. So I've got to be, um, you know, a little bit tolerant of, of that because I was surprised when everybody put their hand up. I thought, oh, oh. That's interesting. That's interesting. I thought that was because mm. I was a woman in a, in a man's world. But when, you know, half my colleagues are putting their hands up on their blokes, it's like, oh, actually, maybe it is, maybe it is, you know, uh, half a dozen of one and, and six of the other sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think getting my voice heard is, yeah, something I'm definitely still working on. Um, I think it's, it's simple to do when you've got the backup that you need as well. So if you've got an ally who is a senior manager or something like that, that can, you know, nod along with you, that's, that's great. Um, just yeah, experience. It, say again? Even just experience. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of experience, but sometimes, you know, if I'm saying something about something that I have a great deal of knowledge about, I can still be faced with, yeah, but Kat, it's like this. And I'm like, I know I've lived it. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, one thing I will say is don't get angry because it doesn't help anybody. Um, I've been there. I've, I've got a little angry. And um, all it does is make me feel a bit upset and um, make you look a little bit less professional than you want to be. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard question, Shinny. <laughs> yeah. How do I get my voice heard? Hmm, I'm, I don't know yet, but I'm working on it. Have you got any tips? You know, it's interesting that someone like you is working on it to be honest with you because I'm just like you know you seem like such a outgoing character you know you are oozing confidence um you've got loads of experience you're really highly qualified you know amazing job like all these things going for you why wouldn't you just kind of strut into a room and be heard and everyone turns their head and but um so it's kind of like oddly reassuring that you say you're working on it because um one I never would have thought that there is work to do for you on that oh oh loads um, yeah and then and then too it's like okay well if she's working on it then you know that kind of gives me permission to be working on 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 that for myself because um yeah it's, it can be really annoying when someone goes why would you feel like you're not heard or seen like look at you listen to you and it's like no I, I still have to work on that um and it's really sorry you've like completely knocked me at this idea that um other people uh who are in that sort of homogenous group that tends to be engineering um may also be feeling the same way yeah it, it did shock me as well yeah. and it was it was comforting as well to know that you know something that I'd, I'd probably internalized as they don't listen to me because I'm a woman is actually happening to my other colleagues with same amount of experience and and we had a big discussion about it as well and it was a case of well you know because there was an example we were working around well maybe that person only just joined the 
group maybe you know they that nobody realizes their experience nobody um quite trusts them yet or you know can see them delivering what what the what they're suggesting and and it was yeah it was really interesting to to see that from people who had just joined Rolls-Royce as well as people who had been there longer than I have as well um, I mean, you know, it's not like we're getting shouted at in meetings or anything like that. But some something where you're not listened to can be disheartening. It can be, you know, upsetting in some ways because you don't feel valued and you don't feel included. And I think, you know, it's a, a problem not just in engineering. It's pro- it probably happens all over um, where, you know, we've got to get something done with, you know, you're in a dynamic team and, you know, we, we need ideas and um, suddenly you say something, but it is not quite taken um, on board. But then somebody senior to you says it and everybody's applauding and going, oh, that's brilliant. And you go in, well, I said that. I think I did in one meeting say, I think I said that 30 minutes ago. But, um, <laughs> what happened? but again, nothing, obviously nothing um just what i say you know don't get angry about it because all that does is is hurt you um just okay that's fine get on with my job do the things that i'm good at concentrate on growing myself um and try a different approach next time Mm. although you know you 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 do get to the the point where there are so many approaches you can take (laughs) yeah i mean i just feel like uh, at the moment, there's um, a big discussion in the UK uh, about, um, well, sort of like the conflict between the royal family and what's being said on the other side of that, um, you know, and and there's, you know, racism coming up and... Yeah. Um, the empowerment of women coming up and 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 all those kinds of issues and um, I definitely don't want to get into that here but like it is really interesting because I feel like there are parallels between um, that going on in the world and um, being respected in an industry like engineering because it's so much about our own experience of what's going on what what actually is going on almost feels like that's an aside Mm. you know I have a a conversation a week once a week with a woman in STEM and time and time again it always goes back to our own interpretation and what's brilliant about that is that we're in control of our own interpretation and I feel like you've said that. And so I kind of want to break it down. Like, what does that actually mean? Um, because I really am fighting for, like, equality and diversity and inclusion in engineering. Um, but what if it's down to our own interpretation, you know? So with that said, like, what can we do? to be in a more equal, diverse and inclusive industry? Like what can we do as individuals to encourage that? I think, it, I think you've got to be yourself. I think um, you've got to, I, I for a long time have been told, you're too nice. 
you're too friendly you're too helpful i'm like okay um you know you're not fitting within the mold you know you're not being an engineer as i understand it um i've also been sat down and told i'm very young to be in the position that i'm in and the person thought i was about eight years younger than i actually was and i'm like mm, no I don't, i'm not having that um oh, so, oh. <laughs> <laughs> not when it's made as a derogatory remark <laughs> you're very young no i've got plenty of experience thank you very much um <laughs> sorry i've lost my train of thought <laughs> So, um, yeah, not fitting the mould. Yeah, so I don't fit, I, you know, I, I don't fit in the, the standard engineer mould. And to be honest, I tried a, for a long time to really fit into that and do things as I was told to and be that be that person who was, you know, more reserved and not quite as loud or boisterous as, as my natural personality is. Um, and then And then I got to a stage where... I was trying to uh, work on a project that w wasn't working out as I hoped. And I tried many different ways of doing things. I was, you know, I was a friendly cat. I was, I was the professional cat. I was the angry cat. I was, you know, the, the forceful cat and it, none of it worked out. And I ended up burning out actually and taking some time off work because of it. Um, and so from that, I've done a lot of therapy and, a lot of that has really shaped the way that I view myself now. Um, and I am more me than I have been in a very long time, um, which is probably why you're thinking, oh, oh, she seems confident. She seems, you know, all this experience. But yeah, I do have that. But for a long time, I probably didn't shout about it. I didn't I didn't say I am this person who has this and is capable and, you know, is dependable. I just thought get on with the job cat that will show them um and i don't think it does either uh, I, I really don't you know you you won't be recognized unless you really shout about it because that's what all these boys are doing they're shouting about it they're going for the promotions they're going and getting what they want and i think you know from from our perspective as a woman in engineering we need to do that a bit more yeah and um, we need to t interpret the way that we are what we can offer what we are delivering write that down and say no I want more thank you very much I deserve more um because nobody's going to blow your trumpet you have to blow it yourself <laughs> yeah. and a lot of that self-reflection that I did you know during that time where I wasn't particularly well is is, is really helped me to to become the, this person that you're talking to today but not just that working in the NCAT has really helped me to become this person you're talking to today because they do treat me a little bit differently to the way I get have been treated in the past I am feeling a lot more valued and a lot more respected um, and that's not you know that's not to say that you know, it, 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 it's awful at Rolls-Royce it's not but it is different and there are different ways to do it and there are different pressures as well when you've got a customer like Airbus you need to deliver and you need to you know make sure that you're doing the best high quality work and that is stressful I mean I loved it when I was in project land you know it's fast paced it's you know you've got to get this done you've got to go to the chief engineer's review and you've got to tell him what you're doing about this this problem or this solution to optimization and and it, you know it's really good fun um but it is different in in the world that i work in at the moment where you know it's i'm in r&t it's a little more relaxed 
Um, but also, you know, the people I'm working with are, they do, I feel like a little bit more valued as well when I can go into the the, the PhD office. And, and part of my fellowship is to give the industrial perspective to these early career researchers. Um, and so I really enjoy saying, oh, yeah, but in Rolls-Royce, we do it like this. Um, and they're like, oh, right, but well, that's a bit different to the way I would think about doing it, because obviously in an academic environment, you're looking at things to the nth degree. Your precision is probably 10 times more than we, we would probably strive for because we've got to get the job done and we've got to get that product out as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's different environments. But, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a journey to get to this person that you're talking to today. Um, and I'm just determined now that, as I say, I'm working on things still. I'm determined to maintain this now and not be pushed into a pushed into that mold anymore because I don't think it was really healthy for me Mm. it's interesting to hear that difference between industry and academia um because uh kind of what was ringing in my head is this thing that I've heard quite often which is don't take it personally but yes like it's a balance don't take things personally because often it isn't personal, but at the same time, you know, it can be personal in the sense that in industry, they've got one goal, which is to meet commercial commercial expectations, whereas in yeah. academia, there's a different focus. And so you have to adjust yourself personally in order to fit. So it is kind of personal. But um, the change that you talk about um it's so uh, interesting because um, I feel like I've also experienced uh, similar changes or maybe put another way, it's like a maturing. Yeah. Because um, in the beginning, I just felt so um, overwhelmed with um, data information you know where you're trying to figure out how you fit in the world or the industry you know and um the maturing process that you've been through uh I relate to because at some point I was like I've I've just got to I've got to be not less emotional but less I need to understand how I fit into the jigsaw of everything I think it's, it's, it is almost a little, and this sounds awful, but a little less care, you know, don't care so much about what this person thinks or, okay, fine, you must be having a bad day um, if they say something. Because you're, you're right, it's not personal. What, what What's said or, you know, maybe it's a, a, a remark about perhaps a, a piece of work that you've done. You've worked hard on that. It's got, you know, any kind of, you know, off the cuff oh well that was just a bit rubbish or whatever that is going to be personal obviously but again you know when the environment I'm in now I get the oh thanks for that and I'm like oh okay I mean not that you don't get thanked at Rolls Royce because you do but it that feels personal as well and that feels personal in a good way um and I think that's the difference isn't it it's in it but at the end of the day you've got to say to yourself well I know I've worked hard on that and I know that's good enough. Um, and if you can't see it, that's your problem almost. Um, which is, you know, 
I guess I guess when they were told me I'm too kind, too friendly, too too helpful, uh, maybe that's what they were trying to say is, you know, just don't take it too personally. But, you know, I like a personal relationship with people. I think it I think it helps um, to get things done. I think it helps to make make the work work life, uh, you know, a bit nicer. Um, but I, I have to recognise that a lot of my colleagues don't necessarily want that. They're, you know, they might want to come to work, do the job, go on, done, dusted, and not necessarily have that chat about their family or anything like that. Um, there was a bit of an initiative to try and um, create that kind of environment not so long ago, and I'm, I'm, I, t- I just couldn't understand it because that's let people be who they are. I think that's the thing. Don't try and force. Don't try and force me into that mould of typical engineer. And don't try and force typical engineer into, oh, you know, supportive, friendly, you know, how's it going kind of person. If that's not who they are, um, mm. we've just got to all say to ourselves, I'm going to be me. I'm not going to be this other person that you you expect me to be. I can be a professional, but also, you know, have a laugh and a joke. I don't I don't see what the difference is. Um, you know, I don't see the problem with that. Um, and I think sometimes it makes makes life a little lighter. I do see changing in that way. Um, You know, I've seen over the decades, embarrassingly, um, I've seen women go from, I've got to fit myself into this job description or this personality type um, in order to succeed to women now just saying, this is me. Not doing it anymore, not having it. And I I think that's good. I do. I think that, you know, we should be one of the things um, and another initiative we've had is bring your authentic self to work, you know, and that means if you're of a certain religion, if you're, you know, in the LGBTQ plus community, if you're, you know, a a woman, a man or whatever, bring your authentic self to work. Well, I am going to do that now. This is my authentic self and I'm not going to conform to this ideal, uh, you know, sort of engineer I'm going to be who I am and and luckily I'm in an environment where I'm, I'm helped to do that as well um and it's really refreshing and really nice yeah I I now really see the importance of just showing up as yourself and it's like such a obvious but massive revelation for me yep. Is I spent so long trying to be something I'm not. Yeah. Um, and apologizing because I wasn't the stereotypical engineer, feeling really rubbish because I wasn't the typical uh engineer. And and now I see women kind of like loudly and proudly being themselves, wearing high heels. Mm-hmm. Um, to the office or whatever and you know looking feminine in their very male dominated industries and the confidence to just uh come out with that is what allows it to be yeah and that's what's, that's what's changing things women allowing themselves to be themselves is allowing women to be themselves yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, from my perspective, I mean, I generally don't look like this when I go to work. I just have a pair of joggers on and a T-shirt because usually I'm in a rig. 
also I'm quite lazy um, <laughs> um but it, you know that that thing of watching women strut into a room as you say you got your heels on you got your war paint on let's do this let's have it uh, and no I'm not going to apologize for being a different uh, person to you I'm going to embrace who I am and I'm going to be who I am um, I think that's fantastic I think one of the things uh, I went to when we, when we were in Cambridge they were talking about being you know concerned when you have to walk into a room full of men um, I think my armor is just you know not probably wearing the high heels and not putting the war paint on but just being unapologetically me um and just walking in and i'm quite happy to go into a room of men and say what i need to say whether or not it gets listened to is a different matter but you know if you feel like you need you know to do your hair to stick some makeup on wear a wear a, a killer dress do it do whatever makes you feel good do it for yourself not for anybody else do it for yourself mm. I think if I was uh 20 years younger listening to that I think my armor would be um that I need to know everything mm. uh, in order to walk into a room full of guys and and feel like I can you know own the space that I'm taking but um but actually, I've also, along my journey, met sort of um, people that are rising through the ranks. Um, and what I've always found really refreshing are those individuals who are just really honest about what they don't know. Yeah. So rather than like really trying to like know everything and, you know, I've often had young girls say to me, I know the answer, but I'm really scared to put my hand up and say it just in case yeah. I get it wrong. And then I've heard like really confident girls saying, oh God, if I get it wrong, it's, it's fine. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm more of the, if I get it wrong and I don't know everything kind of tribe. Um, but it is quite funny because sometimes, I mean, obviously with my level of experience, I've, uh, I've seen the, 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 the younger generation of engineers coming through that won't put their hands up. And it, it, sometimes it's not just girls, it's the boys as well. Um, so I'm I'm the person in the meeting that will ask the question, which is probably quite, you know, a basic one to try and, you know, get the, get the floor moving, make sure that everybody's comfortable. And, you know, if I can ask a basic question, then you can ask a basic question. But honestly, sometimes I've had people literally scoff with the questions that I've asked. And I'm like, you don't know what I'm doing, darling. I'm trying to be inclusive here. I'm I'm putting my question, which is a simple question that probably five or six people here would like to know because, you know, the speaker hadn't necessarily explained it that well, but I know what the answer is anyway. And then I get scoffed at and I'm like, mm, don't like that. <laughs> That's not team player. <laughs> I have to say that is what I struggle with today yeah. is being in a room full of people that have giant egos oh, it's to prove something and I'm just like why are you putting me down right now when I'm trying to be inclusive and yeah. you're trying to show off that you're really smart like yeah. let's not do this exactly, exactly. You know. I mean, you know, we all we all work for one of the best engineering companies in the world. Uh, most of us here have got PhDs. You know, there's no there's no there's no competition here. I am not your competition. <laughs> I've got 20 years on you, mate. You're not my competition. Um, and yet they feel the need to, you know, make 
make it known to the rest of the group that they thought what you said was, you know, probably, uh, you know, a bit lowbrow or, or, you know, could, I should have asked a, a hard question and put them on the spot. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. If I want to ask an interesting, really hard question that I, I think is hard myself, I'll take them to one side and have a chat with them. There's no point in putting somebody up, you know, who's, who's already done a, a talk and then, you know, pinning them down to the ground and saying, what about this? No, no, I'll go and have a chat with them and we'll talk it through and we'll get, you know, do it in a nice, nice, friendly way. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, <sighs> ego. Yeah, that's one of the biggest problems. <laughs> I think, you know, that is single handedly one of the things I deal with the most, which is learning how to stay calm and collected when I know that someone is deliberately trying to put me down to make them look better, yep. I literally have to go, okay, I know what yeah. you know, because in the past I would have absolutely lowered myself to it and I would have fought and tried to prove and, you know, play them at their own game. And it's so exhausting. Exactly. I think that, that hits the nail on the head for me. It's exhausting. It's so much energy wasted on this, this tit for tat, um, this I'm better than you. Oh, we, we, we all get paid at the end of the day. We've all got a job to do. Um, can, can we just get on and do it, please? You know, I don't need to know that your, your IQ is 10 points higher than mine. I don't care. What I need you to do is deliver this piece of work uh, and I'm going to deliver my piece of work. And then at the end of the day, we'll all go to the chief engineer and say, here's the solution. And <laughs> that's that's what we should be doing. And uh, yeah, it's so difficult not to, as I've learned um, through some of my therapy as well, is respond, don't react. You know, take that breath, say, okay I can see what's happening here I can see what's going on what you're trying to do and I am not going to rise to it um and I think again that is a maturity thing yeah it's a maturity thing <laughs> it's, and it's great being in your 40s honestly <laughs> I tell you um and also it's a generational thing because I think um getting a bit sort of like profound for a second I think women have really been suppressed for so many generations and actually the rise of strong resilient knowledgeable um empowered women makes people feel insecure yeah I agree I agree I think it's especially when I mean I find it a lot when we have a big graduate intake as well they're they're also I think they, they they feel a competition within themselves between the their groups and um, so they bring that to their placements sometimes and it's like no you're you know I'm, I'm not here to to be your competition but it's again it's a, a young man uh you know desperate to prove as well um, and you can't blame them for that they want to make their mark they want to you know get the good good reviews so that they can get a good job at the end of it but I was doing um I was doing a course once um, and there was three guys who had graduated Imperial College on one side of the table. There was myself and another chap who was probably about my age. I mean, this is 10 years ago now. 
And there was another guy who was just starting out on a degree programme within Rolls-Royce. So he'd worked for Rolls-Royce and then was starting on a degree programme. And we were doing a lot of um, gas turbine calculations and things like that. And of course, you know, some of these, the, the, these Imperial lads were just all going hell for leather, getting through them as quickly as possible. I finished, aren't I great kind of thing. And I'm sort of, you know, working through at my pace. Um, and me and this other chap were having a chat about it. And then there's the, the guy who literally hasn't done his degree yet, didn't really know, know how to rearrange an equation. So I went and sat with him and showed him how to do it. And the best thing was one of the Imperial guys who was actually working for me as a graduate at the time, got up and started to help the other chap as well. I'm like, I know who I want to work with. I know that it's the person that has got up and started to support the other person, not the two who were just having a competition. Um, I know that that kind of person is going to be great in a team. I know that that kind of person is going to be helpful to new starters and really, you know, share knowledge rather than, well, I've done my work and I'm all right kind of thing. I'm like, mm, that's not that's not what I want. I mean, they were they were brand new. I'm sure that they have you know matured over the years as well and, and realised you know that to work in a team you have to be you know you have to support each other but it's it was quite telling to me and it also um says a lot about the way we educate because you know so much emphasis is on league tables and being top of the class and all of that and so maybe um one of the keys to unlocking diversity more diversity and inclusion and equality in engineering is to actually start in the school classroom yeah i think it's you know we we also we we deal with a different set of rules when we're doing engineering we all love maths there's a right and a wrong answer it's great yes tick great got it right brilliant feel good Whew, great then we get to you know a levels um and we realize that oh well, the answer is an answer, but it's plus or minus some error because of the way I've measured something or it's like, OK, fine. And then you go and do your degree and those those errors also exist there. And maybe they're a bit more complicated because you're using more complicated equipment and things like that. And then you get to an engineering job where actually there isn't always a right or a wrong answer, because what we deal in is, is levels of risk. We can't calculate everything. We can't calculate everything to the nth degree. But what we can do is work out whether or not this part will last for 10,000 cycles, 20,000 cycles, 40,000 cycles or 50,000 cycles. Um, and so, you know, you can't pinpoint. It's not, you know, you can't say it'll last for 24,712. Um, it doesn't exist. That kind of right and wrong doesn't exist. And so you've got to get comfortable with not having a right answer. Sometimes they are there. Um, sometimes they're, you know, when I'm doing emissions testing, I've, I, I measure what I need to measure from the pollutants of the, um, uh, of the engine. And I have a plus or minus because of the instrument that I've used, because of um, the, the way that the engine has been operated. But, you know, a lot of the time it's, okay, is, is this an acceptable risk? Yeah, I think it is because of the, the data that we've got and we can be confident and we, you know, we use statistical analysis as well. So it's it's when you get into that, that kind of there is no right or wrong answer. 
the people who are you know having competitions to see who can get all the calculations done as quickly as possible they need to change their mindset then <laughs> because that doesn't work so again it's so different from physics yeah yeah i mean in, in physics as well you you know you you you'll be operating i mean something like uh, it's all to do because we've got complex machinery we've got complex um pieces of equipment and um, so something like cern you know you you operate in that with intolerances all the time you know and we have to manufacture things with intolerances um you can't get everything perfect every time so you know we have to then make a decision as to whether or not it's it's okay and you know i i have done that in my job where a part has come in and it's not quite right not a million miles out is it okay yeah, I've done my analysis. I have checked, you know, the the, the figures, and I can say yes, that, that's okay. Um, but it's there's no right or wrong answer really. Um, and I think in you know sort of large scale uh, scientific um, institutions that like CERN or you know the um, the Diamond Light Source and that kind of stuff within the physics world, you're probably looking at similar similar kind of uh, tolerances on the parts that make up that and of course then that will feed back into the data that you receive well do you know Kat like the first time I met you it's so so awesome speaking with you like I just feel like I could chat with you for hours me uh, too <laughs> I feel you're, you're really cool thanks for thanks for inviting me on well, thank you for being such an inspirational person, because not only do you have this absolute like fire, oh, combustion. Yeah. You've got like a real fire in your belly for what you do. <laughs> I do. Um, I do like it. Yeah. At all. But honestly, uh, I just really feel your passion for what you do and your your love for making an impact in the industry um but i also do really sense that you've been on a very personal journey with it as well and i'm so grateful to you for opening up and, and sharing that with us um but also um thank you for straddling so many different worlds from like you know industry to academia and and everything in between, because I think it's such a valuable um, perspective that you have that really, I don't know, just, I listen to you and I just think this is an industry that really would benefit from diversity. And, and, and what's key to that is really believing in oneself and one's capabilities. And I really hear that in everything that you've said about your journey. Um, and it's just been utterly inspiring. So. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and again, you know, your your whole series um, is inspiring to me because it's it's getting people out there. It's getting people online. It's getting people uh, recognised for for being women in STEM as well. And you know, you you, you it can't be one without the other. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube for my new series called Esteemed Women. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.